Well, just in the last couple of weeks in the church world, there have been some interesting conversations going on concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, I keep up with church world news regularly because I'm in that world, and a couple weeks ago I was reading a story about um, kind of an impersonal, awkward confrontation that happened in Southern California uh, between two very well-known pastors in our country. Uh, One of these pastors, he was holding a conference at his church, and they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And the other pastor was in Southern California at the same time and decided he would show up to the other guy's church and hand out free copies of his book. And if you're going, well, what's the problem? I mean, that's generous, and who doesn't like a free book? Well, the problem is this. These guys hold very differing views of the Holy Spirit. So one guy's teaching a conference on his views. The other guy's passing out books that have his views contained in them that contradict the other guy's views. And so it was kind of this weird thing. And I've, I've watched the story unfold over the past couple of weeks, and I've just been reminded of how much division exists in the church all over the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't know if there is um, a Christian belief that Christians disagree more on than the Holy Spirit. And, and this is clear when you look at church and you see how many different denominations have been created or started all due to a difference in opinion on who the Holy Spirit is and what his work looks like in the lives of people. And if you're like me and you go, well, James, why is that? Like, why can't we all just seem to get on the same page as followers of Jesus when it comes to the Holy Spirit? I think it's for a simple reason, all right? Here's my suggestion this morning. I think for a lot of people, um, what they've done is this. They have believed what other people have told them to believe about the Holy Spirit instead of just opening up this book and reading what's here and choosing to believe what's contained in the pages of this book. And I'll give you a couple of examples, right? I told you last week, I grew up in a really conservative church that neglected to talk much about the Holy Spirit. The only thing I remember being told about the Holy Spirit growing up in my church was that he doesn't work the way he used to, right? Like I remember being told, we have the Bible now, and because we have the Bible, we don't need the Holy Spirit like people needed him centuries ago. So you better not expect the Holy Spirit to work like you see him work in the pages of this book. And listen, I believed that for a long, long time until I actually started reading this book for myself. Others of you, right? I mean, we're a non-denominational church, a lot of people from different backgrounds. Some of you, you grew up in like a crazy whack church that did insane, unbiblical things and then blamed them on the Holy Spirit, Right? And you're here and you're wondering, well, why doesn't this church do things like the other church? And you've never questioned those beliefs because you've just been told this is what the Holy Spirit looks like. But you've never read this book for yourself and asked yourself the hard questions. Does that line up with what the Bible teaches? So listen, I just want to encourage and challenge us all in something. I want to challenge you that no matter what your background is, that you would leave all your assumptions about the Holy Spirit at the door for the next several weeks and that you'd be humble enough to walk into this room and to ask yourself hard questions and to figure out what you believe about the Holy Spirit. Is it biblical or is it not biblical? And if you're here and you're new and you don't even know Jesus and you're checking this thing out, you're probably better off than the rest of us because you're bringing no assumptions with you, and this is all new for you, and I really, really hope it's helpful for you. But but with that being said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in to one of the most discussed, debated sections of Scripture in the entire Bible concerning the Holy Spirit. And so if you have a Bible with you, if you have a, a phone with an app or a device with a Bible app on it, grab it, and I want you to go to the book of Acts with me. Acts 
chapter 1, and we're going to be hanging out there, and also in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you some context for what we're getting ready to read, all right? Um, Right before Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died for the sins of the world, and he's risen from the dead to conquer sin, death, and hell on behalf of anyone who would ever believe in him. That's just gone down. And a lot of us, maybe some of us that grew up in church, we might assume that after Jesus rose from the dead that he ascended straight back into heaven, um, but that's actually not the case. Acts 1, 3 tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he actually walked around on the earth for about 40 days, and he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses, and he said some really, really important things. And in Acts chapter 1, we find this interaction between the risen Jesus and his disciples. And uh, we're going to start reading about this in verse 4. So if you've got a Bible, follow along. If you don't have anything, you can follow along on the screens. Here's what it says. While staying with them, he, speaking of Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, If you were here several weeks ago and we talked about the Great Commission out of Matthew 28, which is this charge that Jesus gave his disciples in which he told them, now that I'm alive, now that I've risen from the dead, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples, right? Go tell people about me. Tell people what I've done for them, and I want you to baptize anybody that believes in me and then teach those people what it looks like to be my follower. Well, we find that. Jesus is going, go, 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 go into the world, go into the world. And then in Acts chapter 1, we find Jesus saying, but don't go yet. I need you to stay here in the city of Jerusalem and don't go anywhere yet. Just wait. But why would Jesus say that? Well, the reason is simple because according to him, they didn't have the power yet to do what he was asking them to do. And he actually says to his guys, guys, you remember not long ago when you were baptized by John the Baptist. He actually immersed you in water. He goes, you remember that? He said, well, listen, in just a few days, you're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed again, but this time it's going to be different. You're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying to these guys, listen, when that happens, then you'll be ready. Then you'll be ready to go and to do what I've asked you to do. Now, the disciples respond to Jesus in verse 6 of Acts 1, and look at what they say. They say to Jesus, "Um, Jesus, is this going to be the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? I've told you before that during the time of Jesus, Israel, um, they were ruled by the Romans. And so they suffered a lot of political, a lot of military oppression due to that relationship. And so what the disciples want to know is this. They want to know, hey, Jesus, after you leave, are you going to take the Romans out so that we can live in peace and freedom again? Like, are you going to get rid of these guys? And Jesus goes on in verses 7 and 8, and he says this. He says, guys, listen, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. And, And he goes back to this. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I mean, it's like Jesus looks at his guys and he's going, okay, guys, listen, stay focused. Stay with me. Listen to what I'm saying. Forget about the Romans for a minute. Here's all I want you to know. I just want you to know when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have so much power. And you're going to be able to go into all the world and to do the very thing that I've asked you to do. You're going to have so much power when he comes. Now, in Acts chapter 2, 
we find what this whole thing is, is going to look like. We find the disciples waiting, have no idea what's getting ready to happen. They don't know who or what really they're waiting for. They don't know what's about to go down. They just know that Jesus told them when the Holy Spirit comes, they're going to have power. So they're waiting, right? And I want us to pick back up in Acts 2, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read what happens. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and Pentecost, it was just an annual Jewish feast, an annual Jewish celebration. He said, they were all together, speaking about the disciples of Jesus in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So don't miss this, all right, because this is insane. I mean, just imagine this. Here all the disciples of Jesus, and they're hanging out. We know he's coming. We know we're going to have power. And all of a sudden, man, like hurricane force winds start ripping through this house they're in. And they're probably freaking out. What in the world's going on? Are we about to die? And then all of a sudden, fire starts falling from the sky. And the Bible says this fire divided out into what looked like little tongues. And these tongues started resting on the disciples. And when that happened, the Bible says they stood up and they started speaking in dialectos. That's the Greek word for languages as the Spirit enabled them. Listen, this is insane, right? Like if you're sitting here and you're that really churchy person that's going, no, 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 that's completely normal. That's fine. It's in the Bible. We we should all be fine with that. Dude, no, this is crazy, right? Like if that happened here this morning, we would all be heading toward the door, right? I mean, nobody's sitting here. This is insane stuff. But I want you to see what happens next because what happens next is absolutely amazing and it lets us know why this happened. The Bible goes on. And it says this, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had come there for the Pentecost celebration. They had traveled into the city. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were in awe. Why? Because each one of them was hearing them, the disciples, speak in his own language. They were amazed. They were astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And again, all were amazed and perplexed And I love this question. They were saying to one another, what in the world does this mean? See, I mean, here's the amazing scene taking place in Acts chapter 2. These men, devout Jews from all these different nations who naturally speak different languages. They start hearing something. And then here's like, that sounds like my, my language. And this other guy's going, that sounds like my, well, let's go check this out. And so they come and they see the disciples, these Galileans, these uneducated men, fishermen, right? Former tax collectors. And these people are sitting back going, do you hear that? He shouldn't know my language, 
but he's speaking my language. I can understand what he's saying. Italians, right? They're hearing Italian, Chinese. They're hearing people speaking Chinese, Arabs. They're hearing Arabic, and they're sitting looking at each other going, you have to be kidding me. We've never seen anything like this before. What does this mean? What does this mean? Church, listen to me. Don't miss what I'm about to say, okay? This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he moves in power, he doesn't allow anyone to sit back and to see what's going on and go, I could do that. I could pull that off. No big deal. No, instead, the Holy Spirit, he can't be mimicked, he can't be faked, he can't be put on, you can't teach a class on how to operate in the works of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do it because the Holy Spirit, when he moves in power, his goal is to leave people astonished and amazed. And why? Well, we said this last week because his goal is to captivate people's attention in order to point them toward Jesus. And this is exactly what we see happening when you keep reading on in Acts 2. Peter stands up, the disciple of Jesus, and he says, you want to know what all this is about? Well, I'll tell you what all this is about. And then he goes Old Testament on this crowd of people listening to him. And it's important for us to understand why. This crowd was full of who? What nationality were they? They were Jews, right? And the Bible says they were devout Jews. If you know anything about the Jewish faith, you know that Jewish people use the Old Testament as their Bibles. And if you know anything about devout Jews, you would know that devout Jews know their Bibles very, very well. Which means that these people hearing the wonders, the amazing message of God in their own language, they would have known about the 350 plus prophecies in the Old Testament in which God promised them one day to send a Savior. Someone who would come into the world and give his life for their sins so that they could know God and be accepted by God and be restored back to a right relationship with him again. So what Peter does in Acts 2, it's beautiful. He just picks three of those passages that talk about the Savior. And he goes, I'm going to tell you what all this is about, all right? Remember what Joel said in Joel chapter 2. Joel said that when the Messiah, the Savior, would come in the last days, that the Spirit of God would be poured out onto his people, and they would go on to do all these amazing signs and wonders. And Peter goes, that's what's happening here. And he says, remember what David said in passages like Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, that the Holy One of God, the Savior, that he would know life, that his flesh wouldn't see corruption, and that after he rose from the dead, he would go to the right hand of God and reign over king, over everything. He's saying, that's what all of this is about. And then Peter, man, he drops it on him, right? He looks at this crowd, and he goes, listen. You've been waiting on Messiah, on the Savior, for centuries, and he was just here. His name was Jesus, and you killed him. You killed him. You put him on a cross, and you killed him. And then Peter says, but don't worry. God raised him up from the dead after three days, and he's reigning as God and king over everything. And if you call on his name, he will save you. And God has given us power through his Holy Spirit so that you'll believe today what we're telling you about him is true. That's the message. The Holy Spirit works. He grabs everyone's attention, and then Peter gets to take the spotlight and put it on Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.37, I love it. The Bible says that these people listening, they were cut to the heart, and the only thing they could ask in response was, what do we need to do? What in the world do we need to do? And in Acts 2.38, I love this. You know we make Christianity and following Jesus so complicated at times. It's really simple. Peter responds and he says, you want to know what to do with this message of Jesus? Here's what he says. 
He says, you need to repent. You need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen, he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes, man, you want the same power living in your life that you see on display today? He says, you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit who's responsible for all this. And what you need to do is simple. You have to repent and you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and make some assumptions if I can, all right? And here are the assumptions I want to make. I assume that there are probably some of us sitting in the room today going, James, tell me more about that tongues thing. Tell me more about that language thing, right? Um, I need you to dig into that because I got a lot of questions on that. Tell me more. What do we even believe as a church on that? Don't worry. In a few weeks, we're going to take a whole morning and we're going to teach on the supernatural gifts of the Spirit and you'll be fine. We'll fill you in then. But I'm not going deep into that today. I assume that there's probably others of us in the room who are sitting here thinking to ourselves, uh, James, that verse you just read makes it sound like I've got to be baptized if I truly want to be saved. Is that what Peter's saying? That I've got to repent and be baptized if I want to be saved and have the Holy Spirit? Here's what I'd say to you. Don't get so freaked out about that. Um, just get baptized because you know it's the obedient thing to do. But here's what I'd say to you. At this church, we don't teach nor do we believe that baptism is essential to salvation. We believe what the Bible teaches over and over and over and over again, that salvation is by God's grace through faith alone. That it's not dependent on what we do or what we don't do. It's just dependent on God's grace and the fact that he's a good, loving God. So, so listen, I, I think there's probably others of us in the room. We came from conservative backgrounds. We're nervous right now. We don't know what I'm about to do or where I'm about to take this. No matter what assumptions or thoughts are going through your brain right now, here's what I want us all to do. Here's what I need us to do. I need us to push all of those things out of our heads, out of our hearts for a moment, to let them go for the next few minutes so that we don't miss the big main point that is taught and put on display in these two chapters of the book of Acts. And what's the big main point? Well, here's the big main point. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, you should be living in so much power. Isn't that what Jesus said in Acts 1-8? The Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to have power for what end? To be my witnesses. You see, in Acts 2, it's more than about tongues. It's more than signs and wonders. It's about the Holy Spirit giving men power so that they could be witnesses for Jesus. The main point, let's let it be the main point. What's the main point? If you know Jesus and his Holy Spirit's living inside of you, your life should be characterized by so much power day in and day out. And I'm not saying power in the sense that you're going to go out every day and perform Acts 2 types of miracles and wonders. When I say power, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about supernatural ability given to you by the Holy Spirit himself that allows you to follow Jesus, to live out the life Jesus has called you to in this book, so that each and every day of your life you can be a witness for him here on the earth. Power that captivates people who look at your life so that they sit back and they go, are you kidding me? I've never seen a person love like that, give like that, serve like that, be humble like that. What in the world does this mean? They're left asking the question about you. Why? So that you can speak up about Jesus. 
You see, it's all about him. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, I want to make this a little more clear for us, okay? So we're going to read some verses from Romans 8 together in which the Apostle Paul tells us more about the power that should live in and through every one of us in the room who says we know Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick up and we're going to read. I'm starting in verse 9. So check this out with me. Here's what he says. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, listen to this, does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Um, Let me ask a question to help make sense of all this, okay? Paul says in this passage that if we know Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that moved in power and raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in us. Let me ask you a question. Shouldn't there be a noticeable difference between the life of a person who has that spirit in them and a person who doesn't? I mean, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, I would say your life should look very different from the life of a person who doesn't have that Holy Spirit in them. See, this is Paul's point in the passage. He's saying if the Holy Spirit's in you, you've been made spiritually alive, meaning you now have the power to live as the person God created you and saved you to be. But on the other hand, he's going, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're still spiritually dead. Meaning, you do whatever you want. You shrug God off, and he's not important to you, and you'd rather live your own life, and you could care less about the life God wants you to live. He's going, man, there should be a noticeable difference between a person who has the Spirit and a person who doesn't have the Spirit. And he goes on to make this point in the next two verses, the next three verses, I'm sorry. He says, starting back up in verse 12, So then, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. You, you know why? Because in this passage, Paul's telling those of us who know Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that we are not obligated to the old us anymore. Meaning, that the sin that we once struggled with, the guilt and the shame that once defined our lives, the Holy Spirit's in us, that stuff has no power over us anymore. We're not in debt to it anymore. We don't have to say yes to it anymore, that the Holy Spirit who lives in us gives us the power to put those things to death each and every day. So we can look at our past, and we can look at our struggles, and we can look at our mistakes and say, no, 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 Christ died for that. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He's conquered all that in me, and I don't have to say yes to any of those things because they don't define me any longer. That's what Paul's telling us here. Your life should be changed, should be transformed. You should look different and have so much power to be a witness for Jesus if, in fact, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, here's the thing. This truth should raise a huge question in a lot of our minds. It's a question that we need to wrestle with this morning and answer. And uh, I just got to tell you, this morning's been heavy on my heart because I knew today I was going to have to say some really hard things from this stage. 
But I just want you to know, man, I'm saying these things because I love you and I care about you. All right, here's the question we need to wrestle with. If this is true, all this concern in the Holy Spirit, why are there people, maybe even some of us in the room today, who say we know Jesus, yet go on to live powerless, unchanged lives? Why are there people who would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, yet they go on and they refuse to follow Christ and they live lives that don't honor him, don't reflect him, don't show that anything has changed about them. Why? Why? Well, I think it's, uh, it's for one big prevailing reason. And here's the reason. I think where we live, a lot of people, for whatever reason, have been led to believe that they can be Christians, followers of Jesus, listen to me, without doing what Peter pointed to in Acts 2.38, without repenting, without asking for the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus, and without having the Holy Spirit. I think it's a cultural issue, right? Where we live, people are known for assuming that they're Christians just because they're Americans, right? Um, I was born here, I'm a Christian. Uh, people assume that they're Christians because their mom and their dad and their grandparents were Christians. I'm a Republican, I must be a Christian, right? That's where we live. I just need you to understand, listen to me, the only thing that makes you a Christian, the only thing that makes you a follower of Jesus Christ is a personal decision that you make to trust in Jesus as God, Savior, and Lord. Nobody can do it for you. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter what area of the world you live in. Only you can make a decision for yourself as to whether or not you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ. I think this is also a church issue, though. You see, I think where we live, um, there are too many churches who have spent way too much time convincing people that they need to be afraid of hell rather than convincing people that they just need to love Jesus. And what that's resulted in is this. It's resulted in countless numbers of people where we live at some point in their lives praying a prayer because they didn't want to go to hell, yet nothing about their life ever changes. They live lives each day. They would say they know Jesus, but there's nothing different about them. They don't love Jesus. They don't care about following him. They don't care about living lives that honor him. Again, they just didn't want to go to hell, so they repeated what somebody told them to repeat one day, and they think they're fine. See, here's what I want to say, and I know this is hard. Listen to me. If that's you in the place, I am just asking you to search your heart out today and to ask God if you truly know him. Listen, if you're here and, and you have never come to a point um, where Peter came to in his message, where you have truly repented, and what does repentance mean? It just means you turn, you change directions. It's this picture of a person coming before God and saying, God, I am not doing life my way anymore. Like, my life, I, I, I'm tired of living it. I want to live the way that you want me to live because, God, I believe that you love me and that your way of life is best. That's repentance. If you've never done that before, then I would say you're not a follower of Jesus. If you have never come to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins, I know that I'm not living the life you asked me to live, and it's because I'm a sinful person, and I need you to forgive me. If you've never done that before and called on him to be saved, to be made into a new person, you never asked him for eternal life, then again, I would say you're not a follower of Jesus. If you've never come to that place where you said, God, I need you to put your Holy Spirit inside of me. 
because, man, I've got to live the life that you created me to live. And I would say there's a good chance that you may not know Jesus. And I'm asking you to ask yourself the question, have I repented? Have I trusted in Jesus? Have I received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Do I love Jesus more than anything else in life? And it's my desire to live in obedience to him every day. As you look at your life, has anything about you changed? Ask yourself the hard question. Man, am I different? Am I living in power? Am I a witness of Jesus? And if not, I would say to you today, repent, call on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And we'll talk in a few minutes. I would say what Peter said to you as well, get baptized. That doesn't save you, but it is an outward expression of your inward faith in Jesus, and it's an act of love and obedience that we do because Jesus asks us to. And then lastly this morning, you gotta pray, man. You gotta ask God to give you his Holy Spirit. You see, we don't need the Holy Spirit if all we wanna do is not go to hell. We need the Holy Spirit, though, if we wanna follow Jesus. So I'm asking you, do you wanna follow him? Repent, call on him for the forgiveness of your sins, and ask him for the Holy Spirit. I wanna invite all of us all over the room today, excuse me, to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And I want us to pray together.